0: You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Andre, how are you?
1: I'm very good. I am very jazzed, as you lame people like to say. You don't
0: sound very jazzed. You sound like (laughs) you are a robot.
1: Uh, nope. Pretty sure you sound like the robot. Suck it, Pincus. (laughs) That's...
0: That's very mature of you, Prue.
1: Well, we're about to hit what? Is this part three? Part three or part two?
0: Oh, you're talking Thomas. It'd be part three. Oh, It'd my be part... God. Okay, so it's it's part two of his life, but part three of interviews with Thomas.
1: Yes. Yes, it is. And we've already got him on deck for next year because, surprise, surprise, we didn't get the whole story this time. No, I, never, I don't
0: think we're ever going to get the story. I think he does it on purpose.
1: Yeah. But we really, really enjoy sitting down and speaking with them. And I know last year, for those of you listening to this podcast, people really, really seemed to enjoy our interview with them.
0: So uh, here is part two slash maybe three, depending how your counting is. Elvis is in the building. He is. He was the most popular podcast we had. Plus, we promised there'd be a part two. There would
1: be a part two. I'm very and, excited for this. It's taken us literally a year to get our... Shit together to do this again
0: So we got Thomas Batchelder in the building For part 2 of the Life and Times Of Thomas Batchelder
1: I know everyone was sitting on the edge of their seats To find out what happened next But uh, so think- Actually it was one of those things where in that podcast I said that we worry about letting the podcast go too long Because the last one I think was over an hour yep. And one of our comments on it Was that if it's Thomas speaking It could be as long as you need it to be
0: Yeah. So we're going to try and keep this one to about an hour because the really great part is Thomas has agreed again to do Stump the Stoop.
2: Yes, that'll be the fun second hour. Yeah, it's a fun second hour. So, <laughs> but
0: I brought my own wines for Stump the Chumps. All right, so we are, well, we're all chumps. So we're, let's, okay, so I guess we have to start with where we kind of left off, which was, um, if I am not mistaken, we were at uh, uh, Le Clos. You were coming back to Ontario to work for Le Clos. How the heck? you get from i believe you're in oregon at this point Mm -hmm. how do you get to from oregon working for this is where you step in and say Lemelson Lemelson lemelson
2: vineyards and uh and then back to ontario so the crazy thing about lemelson vineyards is uh lemelson vineyards was 60 hectares 160 acres of organic they refused to certify but then they certified right after i left Le Clos was 56 hectares, 138 acres of organics with biodynamic touches. We were certified. Okay? That's just framing the two projects. Now we'll say, so you're working at Lemelson, and halfway through Lemelson, Lemelson is a guy who loves Burgundy, Eric Lemelson, great man, and uh, loves Burgundy and wanted to do a domain in the image of Burgundy, and... Uh, sourced a few different hills in Yamhill County and in Dundee and it was a real honor to be able to work with those hills and try to figure out where's the single vineyard where's the Grand Cuvée, all that stuff so um, but about into my third year there, Pascal Marchand the famous, the most famous Canadian winemaker, although Patrick Puse and Chablis is very famous as is um, who else is over there who else is over there in Burgundy, guys? Canadians. François Morissette used to be, but now he's decided that Niagara is the Holy Grail. And uh, so, anyway, there's a bunch of Canadians over in Burgundy, including me. I went to Oregon, as we just said, and then uh, Pascal Marchand calls me and says, uh, I want you to speak to Jean-Charles Boisset. So I said, okay, great, great, because now he's working for Domaine Le Bouger. And um, uh, Jean-Charles said, do you understand how we bought all these domains and we took all the vines and we put them into Domaine de la Vougeraie. And so I said, yes, I do. And that's why Domaine de la Vougeraie is 30 hectares from Marcenay in the north, just below Dijon, right down to Mercure. So I said, I, I get it how you did that, but what did you do with the with the brands, the negociants that were left over? You know, Boisset had bought negociants that had vines. They'd taken the vines for Domaine de la Vougeré. And they consolidated them under a biodynamic domain, but they still had the brands and wines, and the negos wines. Now, the ghost wines are bought in grapes, usually. That's the best way to do it. It's what Batchelder does. And a long story short, what were those? They were Chauvenet, they were Bouchard, uh, not Perifice, but Bouchardinet, Ropiteau, Ponel, and Jafflin. And all of them had been brought back to life by, by various vignerons four Boise, and uh, they had left one out, and it was Chauvenet. So we got to contract one, then we got to contract two, and I thought, you know, doing a négociant in France, I'd rather do a small domain, but, you know, hey, whatever gets us in, and we'll do a good job, and we'll try to make it good, and uh, get the beta contract for Chauvenet, and they had asked me to do the Clos Jordan, and I had come home, and uh, checked it out with Pascal at Christmas, and claystone was sticks, little sticks like drumsticks sticking out of the snow. And I went, "Oh, I thought I got away from the Canadian winter." <laughs> hey, I need a drink. Can you open a wine? Yeah, well, I got one open here. Okay, let's do it.
0: It's it's been a long day for you. We understand,
2: so yeah. we appreciate you. Coming. We're pre bottling. We're pre bottling. Batch elder bottles over at Southbrook. Our cellar is in Beamsville. It's the back cave. It's hidden. Ask me about that again sometime. Okay, but. Uh, but here Andre so you know we have a this is a Wismer Park vineyard and we'll talk about that so here's uh here's a crazy thing there'd be there'd been somebody else when I refused the claw there'd been somebody else uh fingered for the job hang on, so, hang, on hang on you, so you refused, refused the, cloak? the cloak i refused the cloak because i saw little drumsticks coming out of the town not 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 chicken drumsticks but drumsticks you've got to be careful about you about people being fingered these days so <laughs> so i'm just saying i just saying so uh, so i i refused it. it was depressing to come back see it in the winter yeah. but i refused it not because of that i refused it because uh, i was going to re i was going to make you know, Chauvenet live again, which it still hasn't been. Mm-hmm. Google Chauvenet. And so your
1: plan was to go back to Burgundy. Yeah,
2: plan was to go back to Burgundy from Oregon. And what happened was uh, uh, whoever they picked to do it couldn't do it or had conflict of interest or whatever. So Pascal, Jean Charles came back and he said, listen, if you do Le Clos uh, for one year, uh, we'll bring you back to Burgundy and we'll find you a nice place. Boise will take care of you. And it was a collaboration between Vincor and Boise. Vincor became Constellation and yep. is now Arterra, right? Yep. But, but the thing about that was um, that uh, I realized when I accepted the one-year thing in good faith, and I believe that Boise was two families together, and I was the first child of the family, right? Boise and Vincor, now Artera. But I realized that, oh, my God, we have to build this Frank Geary building, and it was the building was meant to be finished before the AGO got their their Geary building built because we had started sooner. So I realized it was a massive undertaking, and so Vincor said, "Okay, three years minimum to move your family here and everything." Well, I, I think it was totally fair. And what happened, of course, was uh, Vincor and was a great corporation to work for, and the Clo was a great domain project down in Jordan Station. We found a building with Kevin O'Connor. A lamented great real estate guy who actually bought the building for us that we were in that I met you guys in, and um, and rented it back to us because we weren't in a space to buy a building when we were buying. That was that
0: big green building on the yeah on
2: twenty five forty South Service Road. Got it. Yep. Yeah. Taz owns that now for and they do their sparkling in there. Okay. And so now the the clo was off and running, and after a while I didn't care about going back to Burgundy because here was uh, Canada's big chance to get known internationally and I think for me that was the drug about the Clos Jordan the usual in the new world discovering new terroirs, finding the best part of each terroir to make a single vineyard not sort of the best but the most characterful maybe and uh, making a great village from all all the other wine and in both white and red an all Chardonnay and Pinot project organic and biodynamic domain bottled all in the town of Jordan at first I was disappointed because I thought, you know what, it would have been better. Why didn't they do Grimsby, Beamsville, Vineland, Jordan, or Beamsville, Vineland, Jordan, Short Hills? But the answer was, it took me years to figure it out, was the land was available in Jordan. Why? Because it was too far from the lake to do what Beamsville was doing, which was the darker reds. And being too far, and this is the hard thing, especially if, if listeners are just imagining in this brain, in their brain and not seeing it. The farther you are from the lake on the escarpment, the longer first epoch grapes take to get ripe. Put another way, for Pinot and Chardonnay to have flavor, you want some hang time. In a hot summer, if you're right on the lake, you'll be picking you know, a week and a half earlier than you will on the bench. But if the bench is another kilometer or two pushed back, like Jordan is and Vineland is, you get more hang time. The current version of that in Batchelder is Wismer Wingfield, our most steely wine, beautiful, somewhere between a Pune and a Chablis with great minerality. And that's, that's like six kilometers from the lake almost, you know, and higher on the hill. It's not just height on the hill here. It's how far you are from the lake. So put another way, if you're far from the lake, but on the bench, the whole time the grape is struggling to ripeness, the vine is pumping it with... Water and, and sugar, but also with minerality. Early grapes come off with sugar, but less flavor or less sense of place. You know, it's not a comparison or putting down lakeside stuff. There's an amazing vineyard on the on the lake in Beamsville called Schule, and which is probably cooled off by mm-hmm. the lake, right? That that Kelly's doing a great job of over at um, Hansberger. But uh, so the distance from the lake and having all four vineyards in Jordan turned out to be a great thing. And I realized, oh, if you were a grower in Pamard, which is Pamard, which is right between Volnay and Beaune, <laughs> oh, okay. Pommard. Sud- suddenly the French... Ha- oh, wait a second. I'm ha- I have to speak a little French. Fine. Yes. He, he said it the Michael way, and then he said it my way. Correct. Yes, that's right. And so what happened... <laughs> it's a pummy wine. Yeah. But if you're in Pamard, then you have all your vines there, because you never drive in Burgundy further than you have to with your tractor to go spray the vines, Right. Unless you're a really big concern, then you have multiple teams. But for the small guys and gals, they fill up their, their sprayer with organic sulfur, and they don't want to drive much more than a kilometer or two. So their vines are all traditionally in one village. So if you're in Pamar, between Volney and Beaune, bon, uh, you won't sit there in Pamar and say, I'm pissed that I don't have any Volney Just the same as you live in Jordan, you don't say, I'm pissed that I don't have any short hills, right? you tend to concentrate in one place when you're small and you're a grower and a winemaker, both. But then I realized, oh my God, the, uh, the Neudorf vineyard, Kalos does that vineyard now, uh, but it used to be called La Petite Colline, mm-hmm. owned by the Neudorf family who also does the farm. And, and, and Jeff Neudorf and, and Kelly's the winemaker of that now. And uh, of course, the Bowen family own Claystone, still do, Bowen Schmidt family. And then there was the Chudzik family, the, that own Talon Ridge, up high above Flat Rock, between Flat Rock and uh, the, the great winery up there, Westcott. And uh, then you had below that, it goes like this. Going north towards the lake, it goes Westcott, Talon Ridge of the Clos, uh, Flat Rock, and then Claystone. That's all one long strip of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay with a little riesling for, for spice. And on the other side, the Clos Jardin itself... Used to be called the Dobson property, and that's completely surrounded by forest. So the French thought it was very funny and cool to have a a clo that was not a walled clo but a tree tree clo, right? So you can imagine between Lake Ontario's humidity and a tree fence all around, uh, how much uh, how, how fungal diseases when you're organic were sometimes an issue. But interestingly one thing that people don't know about the escarpment and the escarpment um, commission is they don't let you break stuff up so the clo was like 25 acres planted like you know uh 10 hectares but it was 75 acres mostly of bruce trail and you just have to steward that you know you mm-hmm. have to be a steward of that part of the property you're not allowed to take any trees down etc 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 and uh the one thing i really wish i mean, of course things went the way they went we never built it the we never built yeah, the that was building. The
1: question I was going to going to ask is so like how far along did they get in the planning process and I mean it's even becoming difficult now online to find pictures of this building and mm, which is going to be gorgeous like I remember that it, it just... would have been a crown jewel to this day still in yep. in Niagara. I mean it it's incredible. Yeah. But I mean what so what exactly happened and how far along did they get into getting that facility built.
2: So they we, we dug we dug deep pits to see how where the you know where the rock started mother Rock we where all of the property it was planted uh, part of it was planted before I came part of it was planted when I came one of the saddest days was planting out towards the end of my tenure uh, of the closure and planting out the geary building circle because it was an open circle in the middle of the vines as you drove up the driveway off king street or you know, King Street's called King Street, Highway 8, Highway 81. And when it gets to St. Catherine's called St. Paul Street, right? Yep. And I, I think if you watch it, it goes all the way to Queenston, but in Niagara Lake. But that's in St. David's. But uh, the thing about it is when you plant it out the middle of the clove years later, boy, there's a lot more of a great vineyard. It's kind of a great thing that the building didn't get built. But what, what, and you know, it's it's, like, it's not like Constellation's fault. What happened was when Vincor was still Vincor, and there was also Vincor International, don't forget. Vincor was huge, right? Yep. In Australia and California and Washington State, South Africa. Uh, what happened was that uh, the um, the building was too expensive. Right on the plans, before you got the quotes. So we rejigged the building. And, you know, for instance, to have one loading dock instead of two. And all lots of changes like that. And uh, we're like, one loading dock? Like, the mobile bottling truck rocks in. You need another truck and another one to offload the glass into the building, the, the pallets of glass that you're going to bottle empty. Yep. And then as they come off the line, put the pallets of completed wine in. Because no wine restores all its goods on place, right? You can't do it sur place. That was from
1: 130 play. acres. Of worth.
2: So so what happened was I, we were making compromises that weren't that good. So they told me it was going to cost 16 million, and then it went up to 19 mil- million, and that's when we rejigged it to try to see if we could save money. Everywhere we could save money, and then the last count it was like 32 million. And I think wow. when you screw with the integrity of something, as we say in French, so flyer, such a crazy building, and that has all these shards and like cloud-like, uh, cloud-like features, and now you're trying to bring order to it that's outside of what Frank and his team did, you're now... Micromanaging, Mm. and the price went up. Plus, uh, China was building a lot that year, or India, I forget, and steel prices everywhere went through the roof. And that was a lot of what pushed it, and there was a lot of steel, there was some titanium, blah, blah, blah. So um, they shelled it for two years. Kevin O'Connor, the great Niagara-on-the-Lake realtor, took me through 15 buildings across the peninsula from Virgil to Beamsville. And Helen Fisher, the great researcher, suggested... Uh, this lakeshore produce or lakeshore flowers it wasn't a greenhouse, it was a building that was a cold room for flowers once they were cut. So it had 18 loading docks. So <laughs> it was like mm, 18 loading <clears throat> docks, and we just cut the one we're building from two down to one. So um, I need a break here. Can we tie this? Sure, yeah. So yep. Wismer Park, is <laughs> yeah, so it's mine. I well, oh, I got a little
0: lash left. Well, want Wh- a little more, Andre? Don't take a bit. So,
2: just so we can understand it, Wismer Park is very red soil. And uh, from, I, I don't know if I said this in the last uh, podcast, but the thing about Wismer is they are always adding to their holdings in vineland. It's a great place to have holdings if you like cool climate varieties. As I said earlier, cool climate varieties given longer to ripen. Taste more and have longer finishes and have more dry extract and have more minerality, and so it's cool to be farther from the lake as long as it eventually does get ripe, right? And as long as you are on the escarpment, you need that north-facing slope here not to not to freeze off in the winter, right? South-facing slopes are warmer here, but when they face Little Lake Erie, that freezes very yeah. now, na- you know, very shallow lake, right? So that's that, yeah. And uh, so this is just a. Uh, Just above the IGA, which is a great roadmark in, in, uh, oh yeah, okay, yeah. In Vineland, and just up on the hill there, and it's got, uh, it's right beside Butler's Grant, which is another famous vineyard Mm -hmm. up there. And it's, uh, it's meticulously, uh, uh, kept by, um, Craig Wismer and his team. And whether light year, heavy year, always it has, from this red soil, this sort of, Gamey, but I would say more importantly, this bloody taste. And if you look for it on the finish, you'll find it. And I'm just gonna have a little sip here.
1: Michael's glass, right empty. Oh,
0: nice. I, am, I am. I love the concentration on this wine, I thought it was really lovely. It's and also got a
1: nice, it's almost creamy mouth feel like it's really large how it opens up on the mid palate
0: and this is this is one of your wines just so people yeah. know this is a batch elder whisper
2: park unreleased 15 15 you know so uh, and not to go back a year but a year has passed and we have still not got a um uh a, a, a tasting room and by that a tasting room, i mean a, a permit and we talked about that and i think you yeah. guys posed very good questions on it and when we get that retail permit, we will almost for sure not have a tasting room, but we'll have the wine club where we can ship wine. And the LCBO and the SAQ have both been very good to us about picking up single vineyards. But let's say you make uh, 200 cases of a single vineyard or 100 cases, 100 cases, what we usually make. And they say, oh, that's good. Uh, we'll take 50 cases. And then they're on to the next vintage By They sell through. Yep. And they come again. What I'd rather do is reverse that paradigm, and uh, Mary would love to do this. Mary Delaney, my wife and partner, is you come to your wine club and you say, right, we've got 100 cases of this, 50 are allotted to the wine club,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and now we've got 50 for the LCBO. You talk to the LCBO. They're very open about it. They're very good. And they'll say, well, actually, we only need 40. Well, that's great. So then you put another 10 at the end, yep. you know, out to the wine club, or but, but we're too small just to hang out uh, all weekend, you know, will uh, in a, in our in our tasting room and the well, you're property just so the, busy too. I mean, yeah. you're you're yeah. everywhere. Like and sure, I know at
1: Taste of Oregon, you had one of your daughters pouring for you at, at that event. But I mean, it's still great though. Now that the whole family's getting involved, that I mean, you have a third body with yeah with the family name to be able to help pour your
0: whites which it's nice that you can come and hang out in the basement and chat with us too so if you had to
2: do a store yeah we wouldn't be able to do now and that is you know i really love big head and andre and the whole lipinski family kaya and 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 jacob and everything but they um they uh they have to be all the time at that store yeah i mean all the time, there's going to be somebody there, and they do a great job of it. You know, you mm-hmm. go—it's so mystical. You go down between the tanks, and they're either doing a cellar operation or selling someone wine between yep. the tanks, right? Yep. Yep. And it's so real, and it's such a good story. Um, but but we don't only do that; we do other things too, right? Um, well, how s- so
1: many cases of wine are you making in Niagara right now? Uh,
2: we're 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 just getting ready to bottle 2,500, which is up. Like we need to make 10,000 in Niagara, you no. know. And, or or 20,000 if we could have an unoaked Chardonnay, if I can figure out how to do that. As far as I'm concerned, nobody has. I hope that's a blind one you have for me. I would love to have a simple unoaked Chardonnay with just enough verve to it. Here, here's my definition of a good unoaked Chardonnay, like a Chablis. We all drink it, and um, we're having a barbecue, and someone brings some scallops, and you say, Should I go get a Merceau, or should I go get a, you know, a Matiar Vineyard, or a Quarry Road from Taz? And we say, no, this is tasting good. Pop another bottle of the Unoaked. That has never happened in the history of Niagara. <laughs> I
1: was going to say, well, I mean. Pop me an Unoaked.
2: Listen, yeah, I don't I've, really said, say I've say that said that before,
1: too. Like, Thomas, right now, your, your Niagara Chardonnay at $25 a bottle in uh, vintages, is it still an essential?
2: No, it's not an essential, but we could never make a thousand cases, so they're just going to buy the same amount we always made, which was about six hundred cases. Okay, so it's good; it's coming it, it, but out but now. I mean,
1: it's one of those things where when the price dropped down from twenty nine to twenty five, it became one of the best values and one of the nice, most rounded Chardonnays on the market. It's so true, and
2: I would. I, I just. I. I'm not going I'm not being. Uh, sorry I should have given you that. We're rinsing with Chardonnay here, which is which is the best use for Chardonnay.
0: Yeah. Up, uh, <laughs> but I'm from. Shut up, Michael.
2: No, but if uh, you know who you know who's the master of unoaked Chardonnay and Niagara. No, those early Peninsula Ridge uh, I was going to say cassava, they do great unoaked Chardonnay. All oh, I got to try it. So I, I I but but I remember when Jean-Pierre Collat first moved here and and made those killer whites at Peninsula Ridge. Not that Jamie isn't, but just that they were set a standard and maybe i was just all like wow a new region and i was just in love with it but you know when um w- when even simple chablis finished and they're not that complex let's say a simpler one at 22 bucks when they finish with that sort of gunflint kind of tang that they say comes from the kimmeridgean soils and i would just maybe it's that most of the of the uno chardonnays here come from higher producing vines maybe somebody needs to try a low yield one and still put it out for twenty bucks. But what do you do
1: with that? Like fruit's so expensive here that it's. I mm-hmm. mean, especially dealing with Craig Wismer, like your costs are. You're paying a fruit premium then.
2: Was that an ad for Craig? Craig, if you're listening, no. It costs them a lot of money to grow it too. I know. We all get it. Everybody, everybody charges a fruit premium, and we're just lucky that there's people who sell it to us, right? So this is this is uh, what is called mineralite. Oh, it's sixteen, cool. and this goes to Quebec usually in the SAQ but to licensees here. This is really so, good. So this is all over Niagara Lake. This is recently bottled 16. It's delicious.
1: It's definitely it definitely tastes like the summer It's sort of pineapple and tangerine. Is there a lot of oak on that or just
2: No, it's something. just a fat year, man. But it's it still like, has good minerality. Like for, 16, man.
1: Just a little bit of the vanilla to, to it, but So
2: and so we have the same label here from Oregon, Mineralité l'Oregon. Would you do the honors, oh, sir? Yeah, I'd mm-hmm. be happy
1: to I got that you're going to open one? No, I'm just going to keep it over here because I don't want to share it.
2: Oh, well, that's an excellent a, idea. So you haven't even tasted it yet. Just getting my, uh, making sure the phone ringer's off here because that would be very, uh so. Um, no, I'm, used to okay, so with,
1: I'm used to working with hosts who don't turn the radio,
0: uh, turn the ringers off.
2: Uh, well, this a shout out
1: to Jim Richards.
2: Okay, so uh, let's this get you back off. on
0: track. Yep. And uh, Get back I, to the I, clo. I guess, so you're at the clo. They basically say now it's too expensive to make. Uh, Frank Gary's building Frank Gary's building did they go okay, we're gonna make a building or it just it just scrapped completely. We're now a virtual project.
2: Well now we had now we have the rented building forever instead of just a two-year wait. And Don Triggs was a visionary right And uh, Don Triggs as of Jackson Triggs, now he has that great him and Elaine had that great project Colmina. Mm-hmm. And
1: we just spoke with him. Uh, if you have not heard that podcast yet,
2: go back and listen to it. And we can Don's now turn great, to the next page. Sean's a great storyteller. Oh, yeah, and he's like, he's an icon of the Canadian industry, right? Or, or maybe the worldwide industry because they did so much with Vincor, yeah.
1: eh? I'm not ready to dump this uh, oh, mineralite. I'm... Is the LCBO not going to take this?
2: No, but the LCBO is going to get a slightly firmer, the black label that looks like a chalkboard. It's a slightly different cuvee. Okay. So now, is, is, there, Mildre- a, is there
1: a way for me to buy that as a consumer in Ontario?
2: Uh, there would be as soon as we get our license. If you'd say I walked in the cellar and said, "Oh, you know, I know it's a licensee one," but I'd like, it, we'd say, "Sure." Here, pass me some plastic. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of that, can we talk about our girls? My girls. I have two girls, age twenty-one, and uh, we're going to do a blind wrapped Barbie. in plastic. That's right. So, uh, so I'm looking at two Barbies from Michael and Erica's niece. Right? They're, they're going to be uh, for my niece. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully, she. Her mom won't hear this podcast. No, by that time, she's uh, already got them. Yeah, so, yeah, so they're that's coming good. in from Australia. Yeah, They're coming in from Australia. And what we have here, on the left, we have Barbie in a, a sky blue of uh, sort of... A, it's going to be denim. I think it's going to be a denim. Yep. Faded denim and a, a nice brooch on her shoulder that, you know, a summer brooch that it looks like snowflakes, which is incongruous, but somebody must have slapped it on there. Yeah, She's blonde with blue eyes. And then we have another Barbie with slightly wider smile, blonde with blue eyes. And she's all tartan all the time with uh, wearing a tartan robe, uh, black, white, and red. And uh, she has a little pink tutu, which is around her waist, which is very strange. Very strange. It's like a belt. Why I bring this up, it sounds, you have two girls, you say, you know, there's no freaking way they're getting Barbies. And boy, do you relent as soon as they're the only kids in the class without Barbies. Yeah. And they have so much fun playing with them. So Mary says, it's a special birthday coming up, and I'd really like to go to India. And I'm like, what? And she goes, yep. And you're not coming. You're staying home with the girls. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And have a good time. And it's your life dream. She's read every English language book on India, right? And so um, what happens? She goes, I've reconsidered. A month later, you can come. I'm like, well, who would get from what's the girls? We're from Montreal. And, you know, there's our parents. Everybody's in Montreal. We're going to go for a month to India. The year's 2007. It's the year we hired Seb for the Clojardin. So uh, Sebastian Jacob who's now at Megalomaniac. Shout out to Seb. Shout out to Seb. Mm-hmm. And uh, and making great wines over there. And uh, what happened was uh, we got there and we were so scared that we couldn't move or walk down the street. So we started to take tuk-tuks. You know what a tuk-tuk is? Those those bikes with the the, the guy running in front of it. Is yeah, you know, oh, but it? they have motor now? Okay, yeah, right. And they're fantastic. Then we said, okay, let's do something crazy. Let's start traveling. But the buses were, you know, traffic in India is like a moving serpent down the street. It's totally amorphous. And we said, let's take a cab. And it was a battered up 50s cab. Like, picture, you have to channel the look of the cars in Cuba. And that's what it looked like. And we're in this cab bumping over every road in southern India (laughs) and Tamil Nadu. And all of a sudden, on um, uh, the radio came the Barbie song. The Barbie song. The Barbie song.
1: The the song by Aqua, the Barbie girl?
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Life in plastic. It's, it's fantastic. Fun. I'm a Barbie girl. That's and okay. so, and right look at these words. Barbies are like right here sitting in plastic, happy as the day is long. So this brings you back to India. India. with And the other thing I want to teach everybody in the world about India, because I hope everybody listens to your thing, is... The amazing thing is you say, why are the goats on the side of the road? And why are the dogs on the side of the road? Why are the cows on the side of the road? And why are they sort of sifting corn on the side of the road to take it, like corn seeds or kernels, to take it to market? And, you know, this, this beautiful paved road in southern India. And then I realized is this road has been here for 4,000 years <laughs> It just wasn't paved until recently, yeah. and every generation of every being on the planet knows that's where they got to go for food or water or whatever, yeah. right? So even the wild animals are there, or the domesticated animals. They just hang out on the side of the road, and you're like, there's some bush over there. There's like some shade. Go, go. And you're going around the goats and everything, singing the Barbie song. So I thought that was a nice little interlude, given that you already had the Barbies upstairs.
1: <laughs> so, so this is the interlude, India from... Leaving Le Clos-Jordan. Yeah, I guess through. you're
0: leaving Le Clos at this point.
2: Uh, I'm about to leave Le Clos, and I'm going to do something really fantastic, which is go get a Domain in Burgundy. And Mary is up for it. And uh, now we're drinking the 14 Mineralité, but it's from yes. Oregon, this one.
1: Yeah. I love your wine from Oregon. But and this one's in the LCBL. Okay. Uh,
2: and so what happens is uh, uh, we get to find a Domain in Montélie, and I'm over in Burgundy, and it, the punchline is... The punchline is we figure out that the guy, very famous uh, vineyard guy, uh winemaker named André Porcher, Pocherey, who used to run the Bospice de Beaune, just wanted to get it evaluated to leave it to the next generation. That's a sneaky trick. People do, they pretend they want to sell it, see who's willing to pay, and now their domain's been evaluated for free. Right. So, yeah, it was Montali Durey, and it was a multi fabulous domain with Premier Cruz, no Grand Cruz. And a, a Montreal guy was raising uh, the money for it. And at that exact time, guess what happened? The sub uh, prime mortgage. Yeah, bull oh, scandal, 2008. The three car companies in the States nearly tanking. Obama's getting power. Boy, he was unlucky for timing. Great guy, but and smart you know, guy, but his timing, you know, just. That's when he got in, and all that shit happened, right? And uh, I remember Maury Taz, who's in the mortgage world, saying, Oh, boy, you guys haven't seen the end of this yet. But actually, he was right-wrong. It got really bad in the States, and people lost their houses, as you'll remember. Yep. But in Canada, we found out how robust our banking system yep. was. And, and then we became a world model. That's when our guy left after that to go to become head of the Bank of England. Remember that? I can't remember yep. his name. Yep. Uh, Pretty good country we live in, no? Shoot, I can't remember his name either. All right, but we have yeah, come go back. We can, it's not a, it's not a wine thing. So let's just, yeah, throw let's just that pass out. right over it. Yeah. Right. So, but here's the funny I, thing: you're just dying to get onto a computer and look that
0: up.
1: <laughs> I, 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 I am a, but I mean, I come from a financial background too, right? Yeah, so, I, know. I, did, I did mortgage sales.
2: So, so, uh, so what happened is? Um, so you're ready. To, you're packing your bags. You're ready to go. So these you're... guys, we're gonna raise six million to buy the domain and a couple of million more to run it for a few years. You know, because you can't just buy it and, you know. But there was stock that you could sell, and it's a good domain. You can check it out, Montelie-Durée, and it passed to the the kids, and maybe that's the best thing. But um, what happened next is that, meanwhile, we were starting something in our backyard called... There were four C's at it, the Cool Climate Chardonnay Celebration, which became um, I4C, which became i foresee c the return of Chardonnay. And the important... Distinction Mark, Mark Carney. Carney, Mark Carney, shout not, out to Mark Carney, I guess. Really. Not to be confused with Art Carney no. of the Honeymooners, no Jackie Gleason, but uh, that shows my age exactly. <laughs> Go Google that, you know how old I am. But the thing is, no, they, they well, did reruns, they did lots of reruns. So, just well,
1: just to take a bit of a, a pause before we get into I 4C, um, which is an event that
2: I look forward Correct. to but every th- year,
1: but but you coming from Oregon. Mm-hmm. They throw a big Pinot Noir powwow every year,
2: and that's why I got the idea. So, so it's is
1: is it your idea? You're the reason why we do I4C? I know there's lots. I don't do sure I know there's lots of credit to share with with the people who are involved with organizing it. But was it your idea that you came? It's to It was my idea, outside?
2: and I was a vice president for a few years. And Harold Seal ran with it and made it live. And of course, Dorian Anderson and now Trisha Molikotch, uh, Daniel Giroux helped too. But everybody helped. All the wineries helped. But what? For his, for you know, for posterior's sake I mean posterity's sake. Yeah, posterior, posterior. That's fine. I think you did it on purpose. Uh, you know what, eh? That Oregon wine has great minerality. It's just it not is. a limestone minerality, it's a sea salty kind of savory minerality, but I kept a bit limey. I don't like it when they get too limey. I uh, like I like the balance I don't on that. You I mean, saying lime-y too long. Is, so <laughs> so the the minerality from Oregon, does that spend some time at that home? That means Englishman. Everything I do is a hundred percent barrel fermented. Is we that just, older oak on the? Yeah, of course. Yeah, on the.
1: Like neutral oak.
2: Yeah, yeah, mostly neutral. Maybe ten percent. If, if
1: if if you could make something like that in Niagara, that would be the one at the barbecue where someone brings up the scalps. I'll be like, no, nah, let's open another bottle of this. Okay,
2: that's it. It costs money to put in oak, but that's it. You'd have to have, because what what Andre is saying there is, oak, even neutral oak, oxygenates a wine. Yep. And the wine feels claustrophobic in a big steel tank. It doesn't feel claustrophobic in a barrel. In fact, well, it evaporates. It
1: has, has mouthfeel, right? Because like it's, it's got a little bit bigger mouthfeel because the, the the problem with un-oaked Chardonnay in Ontario, especially from a cool vintage... Is I think that it's Chardonnay? Well, I think claustrophobic is the perfect way to put it, <laughs> is it, it it never has a chance to open up on the palate. It's, right. it's sort of like one note, a lot of citrus straight through, and... A little bit of oxygen, you get a little bit more orchard fruit. You get
0: apples and peaches, even in a cool vintage. So I—that's I, well put. I have another question. This though. guy studied his shit. I mean, well, his uh, shite. But here's here's a question for I, you. I drink a lot of. We, we just we just opened up a bottle of your bachelor Saunders Holt Vineyard, right? 2015, and somebody sent me a picture, and they said, "There's no way that Thomas is using a plastic cork, because they had opened a bottle of your wine and it was a plastic cork." Yet, yeah. there's a plastic cork. What is going on with that? So Thomas, is, I thought
2: you were smarter than that. I know. So, look, this is a, uh, this is a, uh, 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 that's not plastic, but it is plastic. And they, they, the other choices. ones are, are real cork. So no, no, no. The other ones are cork. They're diamond DM made yeah. from blasted up cork. Correct. But, but that's and plastic. And this one. is Noma's Triad. And Noma's, no, that's made from, org, that's the first organic cork. And it's made from sugar cane, which they blast up and put back together. But when they blast it, just the way they make it, you know how you can make bottles out of uh, what do they make plastic bottles out of? They can. What's the green? What do they make it out of? They can make it out of some like sort plants of plants. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. So bamboo or something. Yeah, maybe? yeah. Well, bamboo, sugarcane. Yeah. So you can make plastic out of sugarcane. So Noma is doing these corks out of organic sugarcane, and the, and Ken Wright, great Pinot producer in Oregon, making twenty thousand cases of Pinot a year, whatever it is. Yeah, all Noma. You know, for how this... long though?
1: Like, do we know what's going to affect underneath not is... The issue I've had with, with Michael is we've opened up some wines from uh, Colio, Lake Erie, North Shore. Sorry to pick on you guys, but from like 2003, 2004, that just smell and taste like plastic when we open them,
2: yeah. right? That was another generation. So that's the Noma Plastic Cork. And this is the Noma. So I've experimented oh, so with the same this... company? Yeah. yeah. But this huh. is their organic green bamboo. It's weird to have an organic cork when you think of it. But I, I do admit it. Isn't Look, it has a, a more is, of a... is okay, regular so cork organic cork? So well, no. So I mean, it's house, organic. Though. It's real. It's, I, know, I know we
0: it's
1: keep but interrupting It's not certified you. organic, though. But, but give me the elevator pitch on how is this not going to screw with your wine? And as Michael and I have said, as consumers, yeah. we're skeptical, especially hearing that it's the same company that uh, made the corks that ruined the Coleo wines that we've opened.
2: Yeah, so I'm skeptical, too. But this is not the same version. So, I'm always trialing corks, right? So, there's the DM that you see here, which is agglomerated cork. Let's start with that so people understand. Yeah. Yep. So, you you take your cork bits that you, are not... You, you grind it up, and then you kind of glue it back together, but you
0: wash it in the process... And you blast, and blast it. blast it and make sure that there's going to be
2: no uh, cork taint. I yeah, get the, di- I get
0: the D- DM.
2: So, now DM has been copied by neutral Cork from Anorim, and the other one is Vinc, like uh, V-I-N-C, mm-hmm. like... Uh, uh, the vanc- I mean, victorious sort of Vancouver, and there's there's three or four of them that blast it apart, wash them, put it back together, yep. and Noma decided to do a plant-based organic because they could certify the organics. It's a big edge, right? So um, what we need to do before the next show is Google Ken Wright's uh, uh, organic corks and see if we can find. Any good or bad stuff on the net?
0: Well, well, here's the thing we i I visited, them on the I
2: visited visited Noma uh,
0: years ago, and um, they they showed us some wines, um, and I can't remember the vineyard that they were using, uh, and they said, "Look how well these wines age under our cork." Right? So it was a ten year old wine under the plastic cork, but they didn't have. Um, Something that was under regular cork, or they didn't mm. have something under screw cap to to compare it to. So we're supposed i am supposed to say, "Wow, this is a great wine," uh, t- at ten years of age. But I, I want, you know, you need a control group before you can say that's a great wine under that cork. Well, guess what? We now need a third podcast because I have those. Excellent. That's what I think we should be doing. Yeah. All so right. You, so you've been experimenting. Will with you remember these? that? It'll be a fifth podcast, by the
1: way. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been experimenting First. with these Noma corks for a while, then?
2: No, I've been experimenting with. So let's take a step back and say here's the problem with regular cork. The problem with regular cork is besides being TCA, it can it can have TCA and bring corkiness. It can sometimes just have the beginning of cork that gives a dusty flavor and takes the fruit away. And and the problem with that is consumers can often recognize cork, which is a musty smell, yep. barky smell. Yep. But just a wine that's muted from the beginnings of corkiness, they just go, "I don't like that producer." So, so then here's what happened. New Zealand got too many of those corks, correct? And they started with the Stelvin. And right, you got five like, percent of the the the
0: industry in New Zealand just went overnight. They went, Pfft,
2: we're going Stelvin. And for my Kiwi friends, they will smile when they hear this. Kiwis are actually smarter than the rest of us. The only problem with them being smarter than us is they also know they're smarter, which is immediately a downfall. Yep. So because they know they're smarter, they're smarter than us. Uh, every Kiwi winemaker I've ever met is smarter than me. But they went, they went to Stelvin completely, mm-hmm. which I have no problem with, except for one thing. I hate the bottle that supports the Stelvin closure. Yes. I don't like seeing a thin little. I even like my beer bottles, I like not to have those little oh, little yeah. uh, those, threads, threads on them. On them. Yeah. So I, when you pour a great wine out of a great bottle with with a thick lip on the top. It looks good. And you know how the Sums do it. You guys do it with a flourish, and I do it with a dribble, but, you know, that's another thing.
0: See, when I was was in New Zealand, Andre, did I tell you I've been to New Zealand and Australia, but when I was there, um, even they said, even if you didn't agree with it, you still agreed with it. Because you realized it was good for the industry. And yeah. I think that in Ontario, that does not happen. If you don't think it's good for you, then you immediately 100%. go against against. 100%. It. So
2: I want to do a uniform, I have a unifying idea for Ontario. Which appellations are the best in Ontario of the four? And I always say, you know what? I prefer the lakeside appellations. It's every appellation. Yep. So, you know, all we have to do is, is, is row the boat as a team. I'm not saying quite a rising tide lifts all boats. I'm saying let's row the boat in the same direction. And that's what New Zealand does so well, right? That's what I thought. So yep. So basically, I never get the chance to say this to Kiwis, and, and, and I'm sure not many will listen to this podcast, but we can hope. But the thing we'll is tag them all in. Yep. Tag them all in. I love the finish of my bottle. And my bottle chosen after years of of loving bottles. And it's a geeky thing. Like, I play guitar, so you can love a guitar. You know, you can ride a bike, you can love a bike. A lot of people love their cars, and you see them, you know... You see them.
1: I love all of those things you just mentioned. Troubles. Yeah, well,
2: they're wiping down their car uh, on a Sunday morning. It's almost a sensual action, you know. Can I get in trouble for that? No, not, know, not that I know of. <laughs> not that I know of. No, everything's so, PG here. So, so uh, yeah, I want to talk about the Saunders wine. we got to talk about Warren Saunders just a bit. But i got to finish with the cork, which is keep me in my bottle. Give me something that plugs it in an efficient way. Now, we have found that. It gives that, it ageability, too, right. which is I don't think
0: plastic will do, right? and I'm looking forward, if you've got any of these wines, got seven em. to ten years old, I can believe you four do yeah. them but still, cork I, paint. but I mean, uh, we, we can't do it next year, because you only get five years at that point, but we got to wait seven to ten years to see, and, and I hope you've got a bottle under regular cork, and under the plastic well, if, cork. if we want we to pull one out after Every five time.
1: years, if we're that concerned, after no, you five did. years, it
0: would start showing... Some of the, the plastic
1: smell. Like, I, I I had some wines from Viewpoint sent to me with uh, plastic cork. Correct. Okay. That were made recently, and it they so, were five years, and they already had that plasticky smell to it.
2: So, the 15's been in bottle. Can you smell a difference between not the jam cork? In your,
0: not after it's been in his mouth. Well, of this side. On, he's been chewing on oh, it. chewed on it? Yeah, I chewed
2: what? on it to try to see if I could break it open and see if it's plastic it inside. Tastes, tasted like sugar? It's plant it smells the exact same. Yeah, yeah they do. There's
1: no, and there's no smell to either one of them.
2: Noma right has now. worked so hard. We have to Google this before the before we have the talk about it. Oh, right. But oh, by yeah. my point oh, is, I've about. never done an entire vintage under anything. Since I got off of cork, I'll always test things. And the thing you have to remember about wine producers... On any kind of testing, whether it's in the vineyard or in the thing, is we're not researchers, we're producers. So when the time comes, you got to pull a trigger on something. Yep. And so when you think, ah, I like these DMs, but they're expensive. So you try Neutro Cork or you try the other one, Vank, or you try this uh, bamboo based organic cork, right? Which looked at one way is the best cork of all of them, and looked at another way is plastic. Your choice
1: this Saunders chardonnay is is, is the bomb it really is it's and,
2: so I, and I am and i am starting to realize
0: that uh, we are never going to get uh, thomas's full story from him and the reason it's is because okay. he wants to keep coming back i, I know. think that's the key so he keeps going off on the tangerines so that we have but, but to go. we we, we, we got to focus we got to focus so you got to you're, gotta focus you're, buying, you're
1: buying a domain in burgundy And you've got, I guess, investors, or you've got the money yourself. No, I got
2: got a guy who's pulling investors together, hockey players. He had a big Rolodex. That was the end of the days when people had Rolodex. Yes, okay. And now we don't even use it as a euphemism for having a lot of contacts in your phone. But he had a big Rolodex. pulling it together. I said, what happened? He goes, you know, you know what happened. He says, everybody just put their hands right back in their pocket and kept their wallet in there. Meanwhile, we'd started the I4C. And what happened was, uh, I said, guys... You want to know why I had this idea for the I4C? The, um, the, uh, Andre's gonna get drunk right here.
1: (laughs) I don't care. This Saunders Chardonnay is so good. Save some for dinner.
2: Okay. Is everybody invited to dinner? Yeah. yeah, we're all here. Always. No, no, but I mean our, our viewers too, our listeners. Yeah, they can come for dinner I think
1: there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who've probably been over for dinner. Yeah.
2: But you know what else? By the time they hear this podcast, it'll have to be another dinner. We have another well, dinner. That's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, we'll do all <laughs> Okay, there. let's get... I want you guys really to understand the story of the I4C because it's changing the world as we know it. Okay. Yes. It's only my idea that's the realization of many people. So here's how it happens. 30 years ago, the International Pinot Noir Celebration is started... By the five or six First Oregon, the Ponzi's, who I worked with. Who went, I went to, with Louisa, to school with Louisa Ponzi in, 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 in Burgundy. and But even before that, they started the I for, the IPNC, International Pinot Noir Celebration, IPNC.org. That's a shout-out. It's a not-for-profit. And it's a weekend of bliss and pinot. You've been? Yeah? No, oh, I have got, not. One day we you're have a, not. Yeah, but you're a writer, man.
1: Yeah. Listen, when I was down in Oregon, where I was graciously met by the people at Lemelson, where you walk into the winery and say, Do You know Thomas, they know who I'm talking about. I was in between, I missed I 4C and the Cool Pinot Noir because
2: my travel dates landed right in the middle of the two. So I PNC is something, it's crazy. You know, but the, the thing is, you had Adelsheim, Ponzi, Erath, Irie, Bethel Heights. Wow, that was the fastest I've ever done it. All those guys are lions, and only... And guys and gals. Because it was a man and a woman each time running it and rowing in the same direction, and they started Oregon. They realized, you know, there's like five times as much Pinot in California as in Oregon. Oregon's known for it, but California is much more. Mm. Some of it's excellent, and some of it not to be mentioned on this program, because it's it's stewed juice. But... (laughs) But No, but the greatest California pinots and chardos, I mean, there's $300 chardos in California. Yep. But they realized that they were like the first Christians in Rome being thrown to the lions, the Pinot Noir winemakers. How can we get a name for Oregon? And unlike the French, whose approach is to have competitions, they had a celebration. And do you know, I saw it. I was a board member out at the IPNC. It's always the last weekend in July. So you can know twenty years from now, if you can only save up for twenty years, Michael, just you'll know which weekend it is, and yep. you can reserve it, right? We won't do a podcast on that weekend. <laughs> and uh, what happens is they turn Pinot around to the point where big Pinot states in the big Pinot states are Florida and Texas. Surprisingly, or maybe not, it's Southern consumers, top. right? Yep, yep, okay. they love their Pinot, and I think there came a time they grew up on California Pinot. Those states they didn't so much know what Burgundy was, right? And it's a a demographic thing. I know there's great connoisseurs in those states, and especially in Florida, because, of course, there's lots of Quebeco down there and and drink Burgundy. It's the East Coast. But what happened was, I think because of the heavier, richer calves that are there in hot summers and hot winters in those places, they like the, the, the lightness of Pinot. And there came a time after years of the IPNC where people could say, want a Pinot tonight? Pinot in the States means California Pinot. Okay. And they'd say, "Yeah, but I feel like an Oregon." For a couple who doesn't read, or a person who doesn't read about wine or listen to podcasts, to say, "I feel like an Oregon Pinot," means you've created that niche. You exist, you know. Okay. And and of course, Ontario's trying to do that right now with our limestone, and I think we're getting somewhere. We don't have the quantity yet, but so you had this first Christians to Lions changing into something that really worked. Well, years later at Lemelson, I'm on the board. And we're thinking, what's the theme this year? What are we going to do? And uh, so when I leave, I come here. I exist from uh, uh, 2003 when I arrived, 2008, before I realized I'm going to Burgundy to buy Domaine Montélie-Douardé in Montélie. And I have to give something back to Ontario. Because Ontario is just a fabulous place to work and live. People are so great that you felt part of a burgeoning industry. It was more exciting than Burgundy. More exciting than Oregon because we were doing it from zero. The Clo was part of that, but Malivar was already there. Creekside was already there. Harold Tila Hidden Bench popped up. Flat Rock popped up, right? Uh, who am I forgetting? Um, Raperside Hidden Bench, Taz. And and lots of great Pinot producers were popping out uh, Coyote's Run, and all of a sudden we had an industry, right? I could name lots more, but I mean, and then, then what happened was um, we uh, said, okay, if we start the Chardonnay thing, this will be a gift to Ontario. It's like instead of working in a soup kitchen, which my wife wanted to do, I said, let's do something that'll actually unite the industry. So, because, you know, sometimes for for how much weight we carry in the world, we have more bitchiness than weight. But that's another podcast. Yep. It's another podcast. But, uh, I, I, you know, trying to get people to pull, I'd seen it in Oregon. I'd seen the inclusiveness. And, you know, we're going to talk about Ken right here. It was a very touching moment. I almost cried. There was a long, long line for the salmon bake which is like our what's the school where we do our thing here at the i4c our uh, school for school. cool no but it's the no but the ridley college where we do the saturday night event uh, oh right, the, right, right like right. the dinner or whatever yeah, yeah. so there's a they're, they're doing uh indigenous indian style uh salmon not on cedar planks but on things that look like oars from boats mm. over a long pit fire yeah. there's a thousand two hundred people outside in line mm. And this couple, it's a thousand bucks a weekend plus your you know, your everything, but then everything's all inclusive. You visit wineries, you drink a you Pinot know, all weekend, and there's this long weekend and you just need your pass to get in. And uh and this couple stood in line and I was walking by, they go, Oh my god. And they were probably very fortunate people. They were from, you know, Missouri or Texas or New York City and they were distraught because they'd lost their salmon bake tickets. And the salmon bake Or the salmon baked, depending which way you see it, because there's a lot of wine there. Ken Wright walks up, and we've got two reasons to Google him now. He walks up and goes, what's wrong? And he goes, "Uh, well, we've lost our tickets. You can't buy them on the last night. They've been sold out for six months. So you might as well just go and go to a restaurant and have a nice meal and cry in your beer or your pinot. Ken Wright goes, that's funny, because I have two extra wine tickets. My people couldn't make it. (laughs) Dude. And they go, why are you doing that? He goes, drink Pinot Noir. It was a very subtle moment and very cool. And uh, he didn't even say, drink Ken Wright Pinot Noir. And guess what? He didn't say, by the way, I'm Ken Wright. He He was very, very altruistic. And what I learned from that is pulling together makes a region. The cool thing about the Oregon Pinot Noir celebration, and the key to it is, they have 60 domains from the world around. And about 30 of them, 25 of them are from Oregon. About fifteen are from California, two or three from Canada, and after that it's Burgundy, the Alto, Adige, if they have some Pinot. But what happens is Oregon is always the home team. And I know you guys are probably both Canadian fan in hockey. Imagine No no, <laughs> I'm a Canadian fan. He's a Leaf fan, although <laughs> that's because Saskatchewan doesn't have a team. That's true. That is the next podcast just saying. But here's the thing. <laughs> the Canadian have had some rough years, I even admit it. Yes. But they would definitely win the Stanley Cup if they were always the home team, and 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 that's what I'm saying. Oregon's always the home team, so we wanted to make Niagara the home the home team for a Chardonnay, and then. But people would say to me, when we got the first forty producers together to say, or forty people, some were some, you know multiple guys from all of our, it was Martin and Shiraz, for instance, in our backyard in Welland two moves ago, and they said, but why would we do this? Uh... uh Because, you know, Chardonnay is ubiquitous. I said, well, we'll do it because um, Chardonnay needs focus and it needs to be... So we got what we call the cool Chardonnay. So there's so much Chardonnay, we're just carving out the cool niche. But, and then I remember, um, rightly so, uh, Cave Springs said, couldn't we do a resync? We said, yes, but Washington's already doing one. France in Macon does Chardonnay du Monde, which is an amazingly big competition. Mm. Let's be inclusive. And get anybody who's cool here, and this is a big ad because we're a month away from it, which doesn't give you guys much time to edit the podcast. But <laughs> I gotta, I gotta say this though, you know, we're getting people from everywhere now, and we said, how the hell are we gonna include California, some parts of California, Chile, or uh, Argentina? How are we gonna include Australia and South Africa? And I think it was Dorian Andrews, who now does the Grapevine Wine Festival in Montebello Park, said it'd be cool by. Uh, Latitude, us. Yeah. by latitude, altitude, or attitude, and the attitude was the brilliant part. So if somebody from a hot climate uh, can put something on here, we got we got Rajat Par from uh, from Sandy coming this year in Santa Barbara. That's not actually hot, but it's California, yeah. and he makes chiseled wines, more chiseled than See, wines. See, but
1: I love the fact that we can even have the discussion that there's there's wines in California that have that cool climate feel and once again by altitude and the thing is it's or just, attitude and that's it it's it is it is cool that like it really has brought in everyone from around the world
2: and and you can the attitude means if you have to grow a sprawl over your grapes so that they're 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 hidden from the sun and you can come out with something that's mineral and it's harvested later because it, it has more time to get ripe instead of rushing to 15 percent alcohol right or 15 percent potential alcohol because it has so much sugar that's how you get there, and these people are figuring it everywhere, because Chardonnay is the greatest white grape. Yes. You know how you know that? Because you're making it. No. Because <laughs> if Greco was in Toronto yesterday at, at the symposium at, at George Brown College, and he would say Riesling is the best. But i got to tell you, the proof that Chardonnay is the best, that bad Chardonnay, medium Chardonnay, and great Chardonnay – is loved all around the world. I don't like the bad Chardonnay, but there's somebody else loving it up right now. That is true, because I, <laughs> I know that uh,
0: I, the reason I don't like Chardonnay is because of the bad Chardonnay. Thomas, we're going to have to cut it there, my no, friend. No, no, yes. no. Are yeah.
1: we? Are we at least? Are we at least at the part? The part where where the Bachelder label with the three we tasted vineyards? four Bachelder wines. Okay okay, 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 but hang on. Just come on. Let me. Let no, we're stage. gonna have to bring him Shut back, up, Michael. We have to bring Shut him back, up, Michael. Thomas, will you
0: come back? <laughs> T- I'll Thomas, come back. Thomas, so that's what I like we, to are, hear.
1: Are we at the part of the story where this, where your project has a name? Because you we know that we
0: like...
2: now it's born.
0: Okay, because we know and that Kalus is born the same day. There you go. So okay. we leave it off with Domain Kalus and Batch Elder being born on our next Thomas Batch Elder podcast. Wait another year? Next year. We're
1: gonna wait another year,
0: and then he'll have other wines. So, oh, sh- come on.
1: I can't believe that we had to dip out of that interview right when we were getting to, like, the good part, the present, you know?
0: (laughs) I don't know if he really got to the present. He was all over the place this time. And it's funny because, you know, we have another one coming up where we do the stump the stoop because he loves that part. I think he was so looking forward to that that he just kept (laughs) rambling on and on and on. Just... Just to get to that part, and here's the funny, the funniest part of that whole interview is we don't have a sip of wine, uh, really, as in drinking, until we get to part two slash four.
1: Oh, speak for yourself. I was drinking, uh... never mind. Yes, no, I was responsible and did not swallow a single thing that he was pouring for us.
0: Are you telling me I was the responsible one for once?
1: Yes, I can straight up tell you that and I'm not even ashamed of it. (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, stay tuned for uh, next Stump the Stoop with Thomas Batchelder coming up in the next couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, share this podcast along with uh, anyone you think should hear it, because uh, I think we're going to have to make our own separate uh, Thomas Batchelder uh, playlist on our SoundCloud page so people can check that
0: out. Uh, yeah, we're going to have to do that. When we get to, what is it, do you need six before uh, you have to have your own page?
1: Sure, I guess we can do that, because we've got a few that we can probably do that. Let's say If you're a six-person guest on this podcast, you'll get your own playlist.
0: That means David Race is not far behind. That's right. All right. Well, well I'm Michael Pingus from michaelpincuswinerview.com.
1: I'm Andre Pru from andrewinerview.ca.
0: And as always, good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.